Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. It's part of the way God set things up. God's like giving parents, like giving them a job. Your job as parents is train them up in the way that you go. Teach them how to follow me. Walk with me in front of them. Train them in, train them in my way. Show them how to have a relationship with me. Be an example to them. That's your job as a parent. Now the kid's job is to submit to them. That at the end of the day, mom and dad would walk with the Lord. And the kids would learn from mom and dad how to walk with the Lord. That there would be a culture of people that continue to walk with the Lord. Well, if you get kids that say, I don't want that. Forget that. It's bad for them. When you hold your tiny baby in your arms for the first time, you have no idea what the future will hold. But as much joy children bring to life, parenting them is hard work. Today, Pastor Bill talks about God's design for parenting. You'll learn that the ultimate goal is to raise children who love and follow Jesus. Leading by example and giving kids clear boundaries and consequences are part of this. Please be aware that some of this content may not be suitable for younger listeners. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 20 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I went with my dad and my brother to Jamaica and we went up into, uh, we went off the tourist path up into their, the areas where the people lived. And, and um, I mean, we drove about five hours up into this area, way up in the bush. And we're going to meet the people that live here and they, they have their own government and everything else. And um, as we got there and I'm, I'm driving up and we're driving, I'm, I'm not driving, I'm riding, but I'm looking at very young girls just kind of walking up and down the streets. And I'm like, if this is L.A., that looks dangerous because I see dudes off over here in the corner. There's some motorcycle guys over here. They got the weed guys over here as you driving up. And I'm just looking at these young girls walking. And so we got where we're going. I said, is it safe for them girls to walk like that? And the guy said, oh, yeah. Uh, he said, man, he said, if anybody touched them girls, you, you don't get out of you. Don't, you you will never make it out of here. And it's the understanding there that that the girls have nothing to worry about. You, They said you wouldn't make it if he said somebody on your tourist bus. Did something one you wouldn't get you wouldn't get to go back, you wouldn't make it back. It just does it wouldn't happen here. And so he says, so the girls have no problem. They can walk around at nighttime. Nobody's gonna bother them because it's not okay here. And I thought, wow, you know. So anyway, I don't want to digress too much. Capital punishment is biblical. We'll see that God institutes it here. If you look at Romans 13 and God speaks on it there, how there there are authorities in place that they don't bear the sword in vain. It is a biblical concept. This and it's it's. Again, the, the cultures that practice it properly are better off than those that don't. So as we have so many people saying, do away with it, we'll end up being worse off for that. So moving on down. So if you take your kid and gave him the Molech, um, the penalty for that would be death. Verse three again, it says, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Verse four. And if the people of that land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. Now, here's another thing. God says, now, we'll deal with the people that did the sin, but if you know about it, and you need to bring them the justice and you won't do it. You want to turn a blind eye. God said, I'm going to hold you accountable too. So this is for the people that would say, you know, and this happens in the church more than it should, where there'll be something someone's doing 
that they shouldn't be doing and they bring it to somebody in the church that should correct them, should, you know, if need be, put them on blast, help them out with what they're dealing with. And they're like, well, this is between me and you. You know, we just going, I just now I know what you're doing and, and I hope you stop, but I'm going to just keep it on the low. God says, no, no. Now, I know we live in a culture today where, you know, it's, we're not encouraged to tell on people and they say things like snitches get stitches and so forth and so on. But those aren't kingdom principles. God is here. If you and your family are aware of this and for whatever reason, rather you're doing them a favor or you're just letting it ride. God says, I will deal with you. It, it'll come back on you. So what is our responsibility as Christians for our brothers and sisters that may be struggling? What responsibility do we have to deal with them? Do we have a responsibility to speak up, to say something, to call them into account, to shed light on something? Are we to hold things in the dark? I don't believe that we're supposed to. Um, I don't believe we're supposed to allow somebody to continue on in darkness. We're to encourage people off into the light. So I've, I've actually known of scenarios within churches where someone will know of something like adultery and they hold it in silence with someone and they don't say nothing. I'm just let you know if, if I know about some adultery, I'm not going to hold that. That's not this. You shouldn't have did it. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that back. That's, that's, if, if I become aware of something like that, if it's your wife that need to know, your wife need to know, this is kind of my thing. I do it with high school kids. I do the same thing with adults. I'm going to encourage you to go tell on yourself. And I'll give you enough time to go do that. You need to, you know, talk to your wife by the night. If it's a kid, you need to go let mom and dad know you did this by tonight. But if you don't, I'm going to be giving a call about eight. So when I call at eight, I'm either going to confirm that you told them or I'll be letting them know, but I'm not going to bed with this on my chest, you know, and we're not called to walk in the dark. God said here, look, if you know that they gave their kids up to Molech, they're supposed to die. Now, that's a heavy thing, though. I don't want to be the one to tell. They're going to get punished severely. They're going to die. But God said, if you don't, I'm coming for you and your family. You're guilty, too. You're, you become as guilty as them for not walking in the light. And so. I mean, am I my brother's keeper? You know, we, God said there is a responsibility that you have for those around you when you become aware of these things. Um, they weren't able to just plead. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to. I'm not going to touch that. God said, no. You, once you know about it, you involved. And so that same thing would apply to us that we would be people that would walk in the light. Verse, verse um, five. Now, I'm sorry. Verse six. And the person, so we switch gears now, and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. And so God says, the person that won't obey the command I gave to not mess around with mediums and you just interested in it, you got to pull up your horoscope, you got to know what they say and everything else. For the people back here, God said, look, if you, if you go ahead and do that anyway, he says, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. What does it mean when God sets his face against a person? It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Um, it's the idea is this. I mean, obviously, God doesn't have a face. Um, when, when the Bible talks about God turning his face from us, God's the Bible's using words that would help us to understand the idea. I want you to write down this verse in first Peter chapter three, verse twelve. First Peter chapter three, verse 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But then it says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So this is the idea. God says, look, my, the righteous, 
My eyes are on them and my ears are open to their requests. But those that are doing evil, my face is against them. I'm not listening or watching. When God says right here, the people that go ahead and do this, you're going to be cut off from your people and God's going to turn his face from you. That's, I'm not going to be listening to you anymore. Our relationship is going to be damaged from that point on. Uh, in Kings with Saul, if you guys remember the story of Saul, um, Saul messed up and in his sin, he, he wasn't able to hear. God wasn't speaking to him anymore. And Saul went and consulted a medium and wanted to, you know, bring up Samuel, the prophet, and was just trying to get a word from the Lord, trying to get something. And what he got was a bad word that he was going to die. But as you look at his life, because of the way that he was living, he wasn't, God was not speaking to him anymore. This man that at one point in his life, God was speaking to him. God was no longer speaking to him. There was, God was like, I'm, I'm not listening. And, and he was desperate to hear something and it drove him to go speak to a medium. And um, I look at that and I just think, man, you should have just obeyed the Lord. You know, he had the option to, but he didn't. And so when it says here, God's, I'll turn my face away. If you're going to go seek another spiritual, you know, guide, then God says, don't go seek at me. If you're going to go to, you know, the, the, the tarot place, you're going to go to the whatever, you're going to seek a medium or a familiar spirit. Don't go do that and then come back and talk to me. Turning my face away. Not listening. Not going to, not going to interact. And so I think that's a big deal. I don't want to be in a place where God won't interact with me, where God won't speak to me, where God won't hear me. You know, I, I want, I need, I need him to hear me. <laughs> I need to, I need to hear back from him. So he says, um, I will cut you off from your people. Verse seven, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I, the Lord, your God. I'm sorry, for I am the Lord, your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Um, two things here. God tells us to be holy for he is the Lord, our God. And he says, I am the, it's the Lord, your God. I'm the one that sanctifies you. Just live for me. I'm the one that set you apart. As you obey my commands, you do the things I tell you to do. It keeps you set apart. It keeps you in a, a sanctified place. It keeps you in a right relationship with me. So God's commands and God's rules, when you look at them, are to keep you and me close to him. They're not restrictive just because. Um, God's not telling me what not to do because he just doesn't want me to enjoy a good thing. God says these things will keep you and me in a tight relationship that you might be sanctified, that your life might be completely set apart by me and for me. Now he speaks again about the parent-child relationship. We looked at, again, in chapter 20, we, we uh, 19, how they were to rise up and honor the gray head. But now for your parents, he says, everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. The word curses, it, it means a, it's, a pro, it's a proclamation. It's, it's speaking. Um, it's, it's something that goes. It's the same. It's like blessing, but in reverse. And so, guys, if you do that to your parent in this culture, it was not acceptable for a kid to speak out that way against their parent. God says, you, you're going to be cut off. You'll surely be put to death. Now, that seems extreme to us. You know, back in this day, if a kid was to be rebellious and mom and dad couldn't control them, and it's like, son, stop that. You stop. <clears throat> All the stuff the kids be doing today, huffing and puffing, you take them down to the city gates and tell the elders, my son is rebellious and he won't obey me and he's cursed me. And they said the whole community would come out and they would stone him with stones. Guess what all the other teenagers would be like? Yes, mother. <laughs> Whatever you say, mommy. Yes, I will bail the hay. Whatever you, you know, the, it, the, the impact on it would be that this would not pervade the culture. Why is this a big deal? 
When kids won't submit, God's put parents over kids by his divine design. Kids need parents. Parents need to parent their kids. It's God's process. God didn't, kids can't come about without parents. It's, a, it's part of the way God set things up. God said, I give them parents. I give them a job. Your job as parents is train them up in the way they should go. Teach them how to follow me. Walk with me in front of them. Train them in, train them in my way. Show them how to have a relationship with me. Be an example to them. That's your job as a parent. Now the kid's job is to submit to them. That at the end of the day, mom and dad would walk with the Lord. And the kids would learn from mom and dad how to walk with the Lord. That there would be a culture of people that continue to walk with the Lord. Well, if you get kids that say, I don't want that. Forget that. It's bad for them. Um, if it permeates a culture, then God will lose a whole generation. So God said, look, right here, if you decide you can't obey mom and dad, you're going to cuss mom and dad, you're going to get stoned. It's going to be in public. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be an example to everybody else. Don't do what they did. What she did right there, you don't want to, you don't want to follow that example. Again, some people read this and say, that's harsh. That's archaic. That's so cruel. Um, but it's in the Bible. And I, I bet it was effective. I mean, some of us, if you, if you just spank your kids, you know, you, you can stop a lot. We, we ain't, we're not stoning kids today. This is no longer, we're not in Leviticus. It's not, we're not under Levitical law, but a, but a good whooping will heal some of your kids. You know, so I see some little kids where I'm just like, man, they just need to be, this is a little touch up. This little Jimmy, he's five years old and he's kicking up a lot of dust, you know, just needs a little bit of spanking, you know. But here, this was the deal here. This was not God being mean. This is not God not loving teens or loving children. God is saying, look, children, it's in your best interest. Submit to your parents. Honor them. Obey them. It'll be good for you. It's going to be bad for you not to. And so God dealt with it severely. If you curse your parent, um, you're going to be brought out and they would be stoned. And again, that was that was God's way of, of clearing out that this wouldn't become uh, the norm among his people. Verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay, so let me stop right there. Adultery, um, you know, in our culture, everybody want to rename things and make them sound cute. Adultery is when somebody has sex with somebody else's spouse or when somebody that is married has sex with someone that they're not married to. That is adultery. It's a sin. Our culture would say, it's an affair. That sounds nice. I want to go to the affair. You know, but it's not an affair. It's adultery. It's a sin. It's a, it's a damnable sin in the Bible. And in this culture right here, God said, both of them. Get them both. If a guy goes to sleep with his neighbor's wife and she consents and they sin against each other, God said, take them both and stone them so that that don't permeate the culture either because that's terrible. I've, I've been on the backside of adultery counseling people. Men and women. And next to next to losing a child, it looks like the most painful thing that I've seen people go through. Uh, I've seen people lose a child. That's number one. But when I've seen someone suffer through adultery, a husband whose wife cheated, a wife whose husband cheated, and you look at the pain that they're going through, it's, it's horrible. And so God says, don't do that. That's, that's not what I want for you. If you're single, get married. If you're married, you have sex with the person you married. If they won't let you, wait. But that's it. You know, there, there's no other option. There's no alternative that will glorify God afterwards. So God says, don't, don't do that. Um, if you're writing notes, write down Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. And I'll read it to you real quick. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 and 33 says this. Whoever 
commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get and his reproach will not be wiped away. And it goes on to speak about the jealousy of a husband in a day of vengeance and how you get paid back and all that stuff. But God said, look, it's just not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's a sin. So, and again, it's, it's, it's sad. Uh, the statistics for adultery in the world are one thing. It, it's not a whole lot better in the church. It should be. It should be radically different within the church of Jesus Christ. Um, now, I, I, I realize when I look at those different polls and those different um, I don't know how many of those people that profess Christ are really Christians, so I don't know how accurate the numbers are. But I'm speaking to us that are blessed to be married. Um, protect your marriage. Don't don't let the enemy in. Don't 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 entertain the idea of another person. You got what you got. Work with it. Be be a blessing in your marriage that you have. And so um, here again, God said they would be stoned to death. This is why it's interesting in John eight. I believe it is. When they caught the woman, it says in the very act of adultery, but they only brought the woman. Now, they got they caught her in the very act. That means he was there, too. But they didn't bring him. They just brought her. And that's why many people believe that they, some people believe there may have even been one of the Pharisees. There may have been something that they set this woman up to see what Jesus would do with her. Um, but either in either case, they should have both been brought forth, but they just brought her. And um, we saw how Jesus ministered to her. He told her, go and sin no more. He said, where you're, after he got down and wrote in the dirt, wrote in the sand, and all those people with their stones from the oldest to the youngest start dropping their rocks and, and, and taking away. Some people think Jesus wrote their particular, some people think we don't know what he wrote. Some people think Jesus may have wrote their name and start writing their sin. If, if Jesus wrote your name and start writing your sin, you'll start stepping too. You'll be like, I'm gone. Never mind. I, I forgive her. You know, uh, we don't know what he wrote in the sand, but whatever he wrote, they start leaving one by one and she was just left there with Jesus. And he said, hey, where are your accusers? Oh, they all gone. I said, good. Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. He told her, go and sin no more. What was the word? Stop it. You need to repent. You've forgiven, but don't go do that mess again. Go and sin no more, what he told her. So um, back to our story here. Back in this time, you would die for it. And once again, everything that there was capital punishment for, even though today there's not capital punishment for the same thing, Right. I, I still got to understand that not all sin is equal in God's sight. I, I, I don't like to hear people say all sin is the same before God. That's a lie. It's not all the same. Now, all sin unrepented of will send you to hell, but not all sin is the same. If one sin, God says you will die for that. And another sin, God says you got to stay out of fellowship for a week. Them sound like different things to me. If, if not being able to go to temple for a week or stone with stone, I think this is a worse thing in God's eyes. And so there are things that God said, this is, this is, this is such a bad thing that in this era, I would rather you be dead so that it doesn't take on, it doesn't become the, the norm among my people. And even though now we live under a different era, we live under the era of grace and we live under the New Testament and no one's going to die outright. We're not going to stone others for doing these things. I got to still remember that. That's how God feels about it, though. It, 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 he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He have not changed. He may have changed how we deal with it. But God is the same yesterday. And he said back here, you should die for it. Then I need to understand that today. God feel pretty strongly about that. That's not something I want to be picking up. That's not something I want to be as have as a part of my behavior as someone that desires to glorify God with his life. Amen. 
And so moving on now, it says in verse 11, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And so again, um, a man has sex with his father's wife is obviously a stepmother or would have said had sex with his mother. Um, if someone has sex with their stepmom, God's, God's, they should be put to death. This is the very scenario in first Corinthians five that they were boasting that there was a young man in the fellowship that was having sex with his father's wife. And the Corinthian church thought they were doing a good thing by letting him hang out. Um, they, they were, they were boasting in their graciousness and God said, no, put him out. Deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. And they had to boot him out of the church. And after he got kicked out of the church and just, you know, excommunicated out of fellowship, he did repent. And in the letter of Second Corinthians, God said, now have him come back. Have him come on back. He's repented. Now you guys receive him back. At least he be overcome by sorrow. And they had him receive him back into the fellowship. So verse 11, verse 12 now. It says, if a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. And so again, he's reiterating some of the sexual commandments he gave in chapter uh, 18. But now he's saying this is the penalty for him. If you go ahead and commit that sin that I said don't do, you're going to die for it. Verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, I told you guys, we haven't heard abomination yet. Like God said, you're going to die for that. You curse your parents, die for that. Sex with your mama, your stepmama, die for that. Man sleeping with a man as with a woman. Guys, that's an abomination. I just want to point out, because in our culture right now, it's a, that's just, this is the hot topic. This is the thing that you, you just, you know, you become a bigot or a hateful person if you speak against it. Um, so what's God's heart on homosexuality? It is a form of perversion. It is a sin. It'll be always wrong 100% of the time. It's not God's will. It's perversion. God created man and woman. God gave man and woman everything that they needed physiologically to be able to come together and, and procreate, experience marital pleasure and all that good stuff. God didn't intend for a man and a man or a woman and a woman to come together in that way. It's a form of perversion that in a perverse world, it's, it's become a popular thing right now. Um, in the high schools, it's promoted. Um, your kids that are in public school right now, if, if your kids, they could get more, um, encouragement to behave in this lifestyle than a lot of other positive things. They'll be told that you're, you're so brave for just, for just coming forth and letting people know you're so brave, you're so strong. And, and there's a, there's a, a whole support system for them to behave in this way. They're being encouraged in sex education classes in public school to, to, to investigate these things. Maybe you are gay. Maybe, maybe you, you should just see. It's okay. It's just the same as the other. In little kids' books in public school, they're trying to introduce and make it normal where, you know, Tommy has two mommies or, you know, Tommy has two dads and it's in the little kids' book and they look all innocent. He's got, he's got Harry and Jack. <laughs> that's this family, you know, and they're promoting this to our kids. We got to be careful. We live in a culture right now that's shoving it down our throat. I don't say that we become the group that's out there yelling hateful speech because they make God look bad. They're a misrepresentation of God's heart. So we're not that group. We're not that God hates gays or whatever because he doesn't. He loves them. He died for them. He bled for them. He would forgive them, receive them, have them be his own. 
But I'm also not going to be over here saying that God said it's okay. You know, because now it's okay with the culture that, you know what, God think God is okay with it. He's not okay with it. He ain't never been okay with it. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like Him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.